Good morning. You are tuned to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. We also stream live at kzyx.org. This is Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. Support for KZYX comes from our members and Dharma Realm Buddhist University, a university in Ukiah dedicated to liberal education in the broad Buddhist tradition to apply and for more information on online options and video series, drbu.edu. Stay tuned now for Byline Mendocino. And good morning. Welcome to Byline Mendocino. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. Byline Mendocino is a bi-weekly look at the local news in conversation with local journalists. This show alternates every other Friday morning with Joy LeClaire and Forthright Radio. Today on Byline Mendocino, the chief of the Ukiah Police, Noble Weidlich, was placed on administrative leave this week after a criminal investigation was opened into his alleged assault of a woman. Weidlich is already a defendant in a civil case stemming from allegations of domestic violence by his former fiancée, Amanda Carley. Last Friday, Judge Nadell set a trial date in September for that case, and Tuesday night, news broke about another alleged assault involving a different victim. Veteran reporter Mike Janella will join me live in the studio to talk about this case and the many questions it raises. In the second half of the show, I'll talk with Ryan Burns of the Lost Coast Outpost about the sudden death of the, quote, toxic coal train, whose billion-dollar bid to take over the old North Coast Railroad was rejected this week by the, or last week by the Surface Transportation Board. The bank statement that they submitted to prove they had $15 million actually revealed they only had a little over $1,400 in the bank, which lawyers were able to show because the coal train made a mistake when they blacked out the numbers. Ryan will give us the whole sordid story and talk about what's next for efforts to turn the railroad into a multi-use recreation trail from Willits to Eureka called the Great Redwood Trail. But first, a few local stories. We are still waiting to hear an updated vote count from election night on June 7th. The last report was posted after midnight on election night when just over 3,800 votes were counted, or just about 7.3% of the eligible voters. Assessor recorder Katrina Bartlemay told me yesterday to expect updated results to be posted to the county's website either Monday or Tuesday next week. She said her staff is currently doing the 1% manual tally and reviewing provisional ballots and will work this weekend to run the ballots through the counting machines. She attributed the delay in counting to the size of the primary ballot, which is two full pages front and back. Katrina said they had received 21,517 ballots, or about 40% of eligible voters participated in this election. 14,000 of those ballots were received Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week because people mailed them in and they're just arriving now at the office. Uh, the elections office has had 30, has 30 days to certify the results of the election. In the first batch of votes on election night, supervisors and incumbents, uh, supervisor incumbents Ted Williams in the fifth district and John Haschek in the third district had received overwhelming majorities. Williams got 84% and Haschak 74%, easily beating their challengers. 
In the county superintendent of schools race, incumbent Michelle Hutchins trails challenger Nicole Glenser by 152 votes, which is a small enough margin that it could change when the majority of votes are counted. The other race of interest is for county sheriff, where incumbent Matt Kendall was challenged in the last weeks of the campaign by write-in candidate ex-deputy Trent James. On election night, Kendall was in the lead with 93% of the vote. But James had garnered 6% of the total early votes and 20% of votes cast at polling places on Election Day. Measure M, the bond measure for Anderson Valley Schools, also appears to be on its way to victory with 62.5% of the early vote. It needs 55% to win. On my last show, my guest was retired logger and forest advocate Walter Smith talking about PG&E's exemption called Enhanced Vegetation Management to cut and clear trees along their power lines with almost no oversight. Walter talked about the lack of regulation, environmental protection, or the right of landowners to object to cutting on their land by PG&E. Well, right now, there's currently a bill in the state legislature promoted by PG&E. It's called SB 396, and it would remove the very few restrictions that do exist on PG&E's Enhanced Vegetation Management Program. According to opponents of the bill, SB 396 will effectively eliminate any say a property owner could have to protect their healthy trees, passing the right to be heard over to PG&E and allowing PG&E to essentially cut down any tree they want without compensation. On Monday, June 6th, the Assembly's Natural Resources Committee held a hearing on SB 396 where there was overwhelming opposition to the bill from environmental, wildfire, and property rights groups. Nevertheless, our own Assembly member Jim Wood voted yes to send that bill out of committee. Considering what PG&E has already done to this community, it was gut-wrenching to watch Jim Wood vote in favor of a power grab by PG&E. SB 396 was last amended on Tuesday of this week and was ordered for a third reading yesterday in the Assembly. According to Jason Lyles of State Senator Mike McGuire's office, the bill will be up for a floor, floor vote next week in the Assembly and then will go back to the State Senate where it could be subject to further changes before a final vote. Mendo Coast BIPOC are hosting a Juneteenth celebration this uh, this Sunday, June 19th, from 1 to 4 p.m. at Big River Beach in Mendocino. A combination of the words June and 19th, Juneteenth is a holiday to commemorate the last state finally freeing enslaved African Americans after the Civil War on June 19, 1865. Juneteenth commemorates the announcement of General Order Number no. 3 by Union Army General Gordon Granger proclaiming freedom for enslaved people in Texas, which was the last state of the Confederacy with institutional slavery. The Civil War ended in April 1865, after Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox, Virginia, but it took another two months for official word to reach Texas, which was remote at the time. In 2021, President Biden signed the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act, which made Juneteenth a federal holiday, and in observance of this, post offices will be closed on Monday. The local Juneteenth celebration is hosted by Mendo BIPOC at Big River Beach on Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m., celebrating black joy, fatherhood, friends, and family. Organizers invite participants to bring a picnic lunch. KZYX is excited to announce that we've released a brand new mobile app free for download on iOS and Android. It will replace the old KZYX app, which had grown quite outdated. Here to tell us a little about it is production director Eddie Hale. Good morning, Eddie. 
Hi, Alicia. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. Uh, Can you start by letting people know what an app is and why we're excited about it? Yeah, so an app, or an app, which is short for application, is a program that you can install on your phone and access whatever that program is programmed to do. In this case, for KZYX, it will let you do things like tune in live and even like uh, rewind stuff if you missed comments while you were listening. So it has some minor DVR functions, which is pretty cool. Uh, it also let you access uh, all of our latest news stories, including pictures and audio. Basically, all the stuff that um, our Diligent News team already puts on our website is available now in your pocket uh, on an app. Uh, it also let you access stuff like our growing huge collection of public affairs podcasts, as well as all the other podcasts KZYX puts out. Like the, You can check back the local coronavirus update. We have a lovely podcast for this day in history. Uh, those are on there. Um, Mendocino County remembered. Yep. Mendocino County remembered. Another wonderful podcast that's up there. Uh, and that seems to be growing as well. Who knows what what ne- what our next podcast will be? But um, you can also check out our current uh, down to the the day. Or, well, it, it's scheduled weeks ahead, but our schedule. Um, our accurate schedule you can check out with the click of a button right on the home screen it'll give you the rundown of what's playing at what time every day um so basically the kzyx app is a way for people to listen to the radio on their phone but then also kind of move around and hear archived shows access the podcast uh be able to look at the schedule all these other features um it's like totally sci-fi yes it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's got stuff like well, the the, the previous app, one of the um, largest gripes was that you could listen to the live stream, sure, but if you were to like lock your phone, like most folks tends to, just you know, when you want to listen to something but you don't want to have your phone open, uh, it would stop the live stream, hmm. which is a pretty frustrating uh, feature. Um, I yeah. guess it's not really a feature. Quirk. Uh, with this new app, you can listen to the live stream as well as, you know, do other things. You could lock your phone if you just want to set your phone down and listen live while you're doing whatever else you may be doing with your day. Or you can even just have it playing in the background. Check emails. You can browse the web. You can do whatever else you would normally do on your phone while playing KZYX's live stream or any of the uh, archived content on our app. Okay, so people should delete the old app if they have it on iOS. Uh, where and how can people get the new app? Uh, the new app is available on the uh, Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. Uh, head on over to those uh, your respective store for your device and search KZYX. Uh, you'll recognize our app with a green icon that has our call letters, KZYX, on it. And go ahead and tap install. All right. And how much does it cost? Absolutely nothing. Yay, it's free. (laughs) All right. That's the new KZYX app available now on the App Store and Google Google Play Play Store. Store. Uh, Thanks, Eddie. Thank you, Alicia. That was KZYX Program Director, Eddie Hale.
Finally, please tune in tonight at 6 p.m. for a special extended version of the KZYX Local News, hosted by KZYX's new news director, Victor Palomino. The newscast will feature stories on Ukiah High School's graduation ceremony, a new program to provide immigration services for free to local residents, and a report on this afternoon's Mendocino County Public Health COVID briefing. That's tonight at 6 p.m. We'll also broadcast a version of the KZYX local news entirely in Spanish on Monday morning at 5 a.m. This is Byline Mendocino. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. We're going to turn now to a very important local news story that broke this week. Ukiah Police Chief Noble Weidlich was placed on administrative leave on Tuesday, according to a press release from the city of Ukiah. Sonoma County's opened a criminal investigation of Weidlich, looking into allegations of an assault, apparently of a woman. He has um, been interviewed, but not taken into custody. And Captain Cedric Crook has been appointed acting Ukiah Police Chief. Once the investigation is complete, the criminal case will be referred to the Mendocino County DA, Dave Eister. Weidlich was already in the news this week when a local judge set a September court date for a trial in a civil case filed against him involving domestic violence claims by his former fiancée Amanda Carley and her daughter. Carley is also suing the county and the probation department for mishandling her case, reprimanding her, threatening her with criminal charges. This while Noble Weidlich was promoted and never charged. The latest criminal case was not connected to the Carly incident and appears to involve a different woman. Here to talk with me about it is Mike Janella, veteran journalist. Um, good morning, Mike. Thank you so much for being here. Morning, Alicia. So um, you have some thoughts about this case. We've got a lot of questions raised by the case. What What are your impressions? Well, l- l- let me start by saying I, I'm not a lawyer. A few of us are. Uh, But my experience with the legal system comes from 40 years of news reporting and another 10 years working inside the Mendocino County District Attorney's Office as public information officer. Yes, at the end of a strange week, there are still only sketchy fact-based information surrounding this criminal investigation uh, into Ukiah Police Chief Wiley. On Monday, the chief was placed on paid administrative leave and we learned that Sonoma County was engaged in a, quote, criminal investigation focused on the police chief. Sonoma County authorities say the investigation is unrelated to an acrimonious local dispute domestic abuse case involving the police chief and his former partner, who was a probation officer. Her contentious civil case filed by Carly, Amanda Carly, targets the police chief for abuse that first came to light when her daughter informed local school authorities. The lawsuit has dragged on since 2017. What we know today, Alicia, is that the new investigation in the police chief is unrelated to Carly's pending domestic violence case. What we don't know is what is behind this new investigation Is it a new domestic violence accusation? Is there something else completely and unrelated at play? It is a dramatic turn in a community policing saga. The police chief, a fresh-faced, personal man with no known record of of professional malfeasance, was thought only a year ago to be the guy to lead the Ukiah Police Department out of a recent spate of troubles. They include former Ukiah Police Sergeant Kevin Murray, 
who is facing trial on felony sex crime charges, as well as burglary, filing false evidence in an investigation, possession of methamphetamine, and an AR-15 considered illegal under state law. In addition, the city of Ukiah has agreed to pay a $250,000 settlement to Kevin Murray's victim. In 2021, a naked, mentally ill man was focused was the focus of an outside investigation after a squad of Ukiah cops took him down and pummeled him with their fist in the process. Now, less than a year later, after he's sworn in as a new police chief, Weidelick is out on paid administration leave while Sonoma County authorities complete this criminal probe. Let's face it, his professional career is on the line. His fate, in my mind, should not be decided by a prosecutor who is entangled in the police chief's history. Eister, in 2017, was named as a defendant in the lawsuit filed by Amanda Carley. She accused the police chief of abusing her from 2011 to 2015 when they were living in a house they owned together. Carly's two children live part-time with them. The case unfolded when a daughter told school authorities of the domestic violence at home. A subsequent sheriff's investigation detailed the allegations and suggested that Carly's initially was initially hesitated in cooperating, typical of alleged victims in domestic abuse cases. Eister refused to prosecute Weidlich, citing lack of evidence. He also questioned Carly's credibility. Eventually, Eister put Carly on the so-called Brady List, a draconian step that put her on a list of unreliable court witnesses and led to the end of her probation officer career. After Carly filed her lawsuit, Eister legally was able to have his role as a defendant stricken by claiming his actions as district attorney were, were protected under law. Carly lost her appeal on that decision, and Eister was dropped from the lawsuit. No matter, though, Eister's role in the contentious and pending Carly civil case raises questions about his past actions. Anderson Valley Editor Bruce Anderson, I think, described it best. And this quote, I think that D.A. Eister's destruction of Amanda Carley's career in law enforcement was way out of proportion to Ms. Carley's alleged lies about her life with Waldelike, which ended almost a decade ago. She and the chief had a lot to lose if she reported their domestic combat, assuming it had happened, and her girlfriends told the L.A. Times that Carly had showed them bruises and even appeared in public with a black eye attributing her injuries to the police chief. But the couple shared ownership and property, and their jobs were in play if their difficulties became public. It is easy to understand why a woman in her position went back and forth on her claim that she was a victim of domestic abuse. So the DA, claiming Carly had lied, placed her on the Brady list, a roster of cops suspected of lying, which precludes them from testifying in criminal prosecution. And just like that, Carly was finished as any kind of cop or probation officer. 
which is how she had earned her way most of her adult life. Seems unfair. Perceived untruths in the context of marital turmoil are not at all the same as professional untruths told on the job. And now Walt like has since remarried, is facing some kind of new criminal allegation on top of the pending Carly matter, as Ukiah sends him home with pay. <laughs> it seems clear. Eister should step aside and turn over any investigative conclusions reached by Sonoma County authorities to an outside agency. We need an independent review and whether there are grounds for prosecution. The DA needs to follow the lead of Sheriff Matt Kendall, who asked for the Sonoma review because of close tie, professional ties between the Sheriff's Office and the Police Department. We know Eister to be pugnacious, yet his prosecution record is solid. But in this specific case, DA Dave should voluntarily step aside. All right, that's Mike Janella, veteran local reporter. Mike, um, it looks like this case, it's disturbing enough that there are these assault and domestic violence uh, claims, but this is bad for the county in the way that they handled this case with um, Amanda Carley. It looks like Sheriff Kendall is trying to deal with some of that by asking Sonoma County to come in and um, and investigate the new criminal criminal case against Chief Wylick, but that would still be referred back to the DA. Absolutely, and 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 that's why I believe that uh, the DA should step aside at this moment. Uh, the sheriff did the right thing. The sheriff received new information. He immediately uh, contacted Sonoma County counterparts for the obvious reasons. The sheriff's Mendocino County Sheriff's Department, the Ukiah Police Department, are very close working agencies. No matter what's at play here, we need an independent, impartial assessment. That also, that assessment hopefully will be done by the Sonoma County authorities. Their findings, whatever they may be, however, should be reviewed by an impartial agency individual at this end. And I do not believe that given the tangled history of this, uh, the police chief, his former fiance, the Brady list, DA Eister's past involvement. I just don't see how that can be impartial. And we need someone to just look at the new facts, the new recommendations, and tell us what's going on. How did we get to the point where somebody who was credibly accused of domestic violence became before they were appointed as police chief became ukiah's police chief well it it, it raises all kinds of questions and actually alicia it goes back even further to the sergeant murray case uh you may recall that uh he was a touted law enforcement officer uh part of the ukiah police department's promotional uh efforts and he was promoted to sergeant there were issues in his background uh relating to uh domestic violence incidents of domestic violence but the point being that he was promoted even though there were the depart internally there were some questions being raised he's then reported and uh promoted and in less than a year we have 
the new police sergeant being arrested for forcing a woman into a sex act in a motel. At first, it was kind of brushed aside because allegedly she had some sex for hire connection. It, it doesn't matter. We have a police officer with a gun to her head saying, "I, you have to do this sex act. So it, it's just kind of a creepy, how do... How does someone become a top cop with that kind of shady background? I don't. I, I only know Noble, the police chief, uh, uh, casually. Uh, you know, by all appearance, he's a a, a nice man. Uh, but the fact is that this is going on in the background, has been, and yet he too was. Ma- put up through the ranks and actually became police chief and actually under the uh, banner of this is the man who's going to straighten things out at the Ukiah Police Department. And here we are, subject of another criminal investigation of some sorts. Well, I know that um, Amanda Carley had initially sued Noble Weidlich, the county and the probation department, including the DA, but the DA was removed from the case and she lost her appeal on that too i believe so she tried what did the da what does she claim the da had done in her case well she she claims that the da acted punitively that he uh uh on behalf of law enforcement uh went after her for reporting and engaged in this domestic abuse uh, report investigation Oddly, and and honestly, I find it oddly, Amanda Carley was not accused, even by the district attorney, of lying to them. In fact, initially, the investigating police sergeant, Andrew Porter, with the sheriff's office, in his report, and I've reviewed that report uh, last night again, uh, it's clear that he felt she was being hesitant, that she was not forthcoming about what was really going on. And so did other people within the probation office and, and in the law enforcement circles. So it isn't as if this woman created lies, made false accusations, and perhaps is warranted by being labeled untrustworthy. That's not the scenario. The Brady list suggests she, she lied. Uh, this does not seem to be the case at all, and certainly not by reading her original investigation report. So what is the Brady List, and how was she placed on it, and what did that do to her? Well, the Brady List is, and I honestly, I do not know the law behind it, uh, because I'm not a lawyer. But it is a roster, uh, actually uh, accurately described as a roster of officers, who for whatever variety of reasons their credibility has been questioned and and whether they can be reliable witnesses in any legal court proceeding. So if they're found to be uh, unreliable, their name is put on that list. And so six months down the road, if Amanda Carley is engaged in an Alicia Little Tree case. They're not going to call her as a witness because she's already been identified by the system as unreliable. So it's a it's a really draconian step. If you're 
if you're anywhere the deal with if you're dealing with the legal system it's like a newspaper reporter your credibility or any of us media reporter your credibility is absolutely essential and in this case she was blackballed and that uh, resulted in the end of her career here right apparently so and she subsequently resigned and under pressure mm-hmm. and uh, left town. So what we're looking at is a situation where um, she didn't come forward. People noticed bruises. Her daughter had said something in school and there was like an obligation to report from a school counselor. So the, the, the domestic violence was discovered. There was an investigation where she was hesitant to, to say that it was actually happening. Um, and then instead of charges or an investigation against the perpetrator, the alleged perpetrator, he was elevated through the ranks of the Ukiah Police Department while she was retaliated against, placed on this Brady list, had her gun removed, and then ultimately left the area. How are, you know, domestic violence is an epidemic in our community and in communities across the country. How are domestic violence victims supposed to feel about calling law enforcement in Mendocino County, knowing that this is what's happening uh, behind the scenes? Well, fortunately, I've never been involved in domestic violence cases, but I can tell but it, it doesn't take a mental giant here to figure out it's a very chilling effect. Again, I, I think in my mind, it's a critical distinction that this woman did not call and make false accusations against someone. And a matter of fact, she was very reluctant to discuss what authorities had learned via her daughter, uh, via the sheriff's investigation. And why would she be, if she was being beaten up at home, why would she be reluctant to discuss it and have something done about it? Well, I, I think those reasons are deep and complex, but from what I understand, it is typical of domestic abuse victims, number one. Number two, she's a professional. Her live-in boyfriend was a professional. They own property together. There was a lot riding on their professional abilities, and she has said subsequently that she was afraid she would lose her job, he would lose her job, someone would pay economically. And she had those concerns. She had two, two teenage children at the time. So there. why was she hesitant? Well, who knows the complication of a relationship, but we can start with professional reputations. If a cop is accused of domestic abuse, uh, I don't know how well, I don't know what his job security is, and it should be questionable. So there we are. But then um, he was, and he became elevated through the ranks. It didn't well, have any consequence for him at all. Not only elevated through the ranks, but actually touted as as someone who could lead the department out of its messy situation. So this is just one huge irony and and what the truth of the matter is i'm hoping we'll learn whatever via an outside agency but clearly at this point we do not know as citizens of this community the source of the problems at ukiah police department these are unusual and uh, striking incidents uh 
and we need to know the truth of it, and we need to know the truth of it as the best determined by people who are not tangled up in it. Who would that be, do you think? Who would be the best agency to come in and investigate what's going on here? Well, I, my understanding is, and again, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm always quite, even though I'm quite familiar with the process, I always want to keep saying that. Um, but it's, it's my understanding that a case can be referred to the state attorney general's office for an outside in, independent review. Or in this scenario, our sheriff turned to his counterparts in Sonoma County and said, ask, for their investigation. I'm not sure why we couldn't ask for the Sonoma County District Attorney to review whatever findings and make their recommendations. Uh, so either way, either at a state level or at our the counterpart in Sonoma, which is already handling the hands-on investigation, we need that impartial assessment. Can you suggest any way for listeners to continue to follow this story or to play any meaningful role in making sure that oversight or investigation happens? Well, I think you need to listen. Keep listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> listen to the radio. But I think that the uh, that uh, the coverage here, local, as you know, we're in a media uh, vacuum. Uh, thank God for the KZYX and other the AVA and Mendo and. Kim, Kim, because the media world, as we once knew, has collapsed. Uh, we don't have people actively covering these court cases. Right. Uh, this is an example of why it's so critical that we have local media, because we need to understand what's going on here. And so what can they do? They can try to stay informed, uh, and they also should not be afraid, hesitant to... They ought to pat Matt Kindle on the back at this moment. Mm -hmm. And um, continue to follow the case. So uh, this is Byline Mendocino. Mike Janella is my guest. We're talking about a story that broke this week. Ukiah Police Chief Noble Wideluck being placed on administrative leave uh, for apparently uh, allegations of assault. And the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office has opened a criminal investigation. Mike, thank you so much for being here. It's great Thanks. to have you on KZYX. Okay. Thank you, Alicia. All right. So when we come back, I'll be talking with... Ryan Burns of the Lost Coast Outpost about his reporting on the end of the toxic coal train and the future of the Great Redwood Trail, including the role of Mendocino's embattled skunk train. Stay tuned. Crazy ride of conundrums. I've heard some and I spun some. That's how I know I'm This is Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales. Byline Mendocino is a bi-weekly show here on KZYX about local news and local newsmakers. My next guest is Ryan Burns. He's a reporter at the Lost Coast Outpost in Humboldt County. Um, he's been following the developments around the Great Redwood Trail Project con to convert the decrepit North Coast Railroad into a multi-use recreational trail from Willits to Eureka. And Ryan was the reporter who broke the story last winter that a mysterious coal company had raised money and was planning to rehabilitate the railway line to transport coal from Wyoming to Humboldt Bay for export to China, something, something. Last week, that bizarre chapter came to a close when the Federal Surface Transportation Board finally rejected the toxic coal train 
lane's application. But the skunk train also filed a petition to rehabilitate a section of the line north of Willits to ship gravel. It's unclear how this will affect the Great Redwood Trail plans. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today on KZYX. My pleasure, Alicia. All right. It's great to hear you. Um, let's start with the apparent death of what the, what Mike McGuire has been calling the toxic coal train. What happened? And do we know it's really dead? <laughs> <laughs> I think it is safe to say that it's dead now. Um, as, as you mentioned, you know, this, the, um, the Great Redwood Trail, um, which would actually run between San Francisco Bay and Humboldt Bay, depends on the formal abandonment of the right-of-way, um, the North Coast Railroad Authority's right-of-way, um, which, you know, uh, for for a, a number of years, for many years, was uh, a functioning railroad, but it has not been for the last 25 years. Um, but in order to, to um, convert that to a trail, a multi-use trail, they have to... Um, formally abandon the right-of-way, and, and that requires an action from the Surface Transportation Board. And uh, in order to um, to clear the way, uh, the Surface Transportation Board gives um, companies an opportunity to file what's called an offer of financial assistance. Um, and so, you know, their, their mission, the Surface Transportation Board's mission is to maintain rail transportation um, wherever possible. And so, in effect, they opened this little window for any company um, with an interest in this um, right-of-way to to continue rail service to offer um, financial assistance to say, you know, I've got a plan to to resuscitate this, as you said, decrepit line. Um, It has eroded horribly, especially through the Eel River Valley. And this uh, mysterious company that had that just formed last year called the North Coast Railroad Company um, submitted uh, uh, a notification saying they, they intended to submit an offer of financial assistance. Um, and it, it sort of came out of nowhere. There was very little information available about this company. Um, none of their officers were identified in the paperwork. Um, and... Uh, through um, you know some some investigative work, uh, uh, Senator Mike McGuire and Congressman Huffman found connections uh, between this company and uh, coal interests up in Montana and Wyoming, um, as well as uh, the, the Crow Tribe, which is heavily involved in coal. Uh, and so, you know, when it when it became clear what this um, effort was. I mean, the, these coal interests have been looking desperately for a way to export their coal to markets in Asia, um, and they have um, been shot down at various ports up and down the uh, Pacific seaboard, and, and apparently they identified this as their latest best chance. Um, and yes, yeah, Senator McGuire called it one of the largest environmental threats to hit the North Coast in decades. Um, and so fast forward to um, last month. There, that well, was the Let me deadline. just stop you for a second. Yeah. It, what we heard at that time, and you broke that story about the about this kind of, what did you call it? Like a shadowy group of coal interests um, who were making this bid to take over the North Coast Railroad Authority uh, and, and get it back operating for freight to carry coal. But it was like... 
really interesting to try to figure out what was going on. And apparently they had $1.6 billion or $1.3 billion that they claimed that they were going to use to rehabilitate this line, which is basically crumbling into the Eel River Canyon. Right. I mean, their their initial, um, you know, uh, filing claimed that they were capitalized to the tune of $1.2 billion and had, uh, you know, quote, thoroughly developed plans to rehabilitate the line um, between Humble Bay and Willits. Um, but that was just, you know, they, they really had no information to back that up um, and uh, or no, you know, no hard data. No, um, as I mentioned, they didn't even identify who their the corporate officers were um and so the the deadline to actually you know put up or shut up in, in effect was this last month um they had uh they had to submit their um paperwork by uh, i believe it was the 31st um and they missed uh, this is kind of amusing in retrospect. They missed the deadline by one day. Um, and so uh, for a brief period, everybody was rejoicing because they're like, oh, I guess they're not interested at <laughs> after all. But they turned in their paperwork a day late. Um, and the, their excuse uh, was um, something to do with the unforeseen vacation delays from their two attorneys um and and so they were sort of begging the surface transportation board to let them go ahead and and submit this offer of financial assistance um and and another amusing tidbit from that um that filing is that they they submitted uh, a bank statement that they said you know sort of verified their their um financial their their capitalization to some extent which it absolutely did not because you know the the um statement this bank statement was mostly redacted and it, it claimed that they had uh you know 10 million dollar um yeah 15.7 million dollars uh beginning and ending balance but uh a a diligent attorney with um the great railroad um or the, the um Great Redwood Trail Association, which is the organization that used to be the NCRA, uh, copied and pasted all the redacted data into a, a different document, and you could you could see um, what was underneath, and it, it was really just some some guy's uh, credit union account <laughs> with balances that were hovering around the two thousand dollar mark. Yeah, one day um, it was at $1,471.65, and the next day it was at $69.96, yeah. $69. It was like, oh, well, I guess we can all uh, afford to <laughs> yeah. file a claim to, to buy a railroad. I mean, I think most of us have $69 bucks in, the, in the bank. Um, going from $1.2 billion to $69.99, is that, that was pretty hilarious. Yeah, and and so ultimately the Surface Transportation Board rejected this um, this proposal, uh, and their stated reason was just because he missed the deadline by by a day. Um, so you know they didn't even have to get into the transparent uh, laughability of of uh, the financial information, and so. You know, from a certain perspective, it, it it's kind of easy to look at this and and snicker at it, you know, because it, this is obviously th there was one guy whose identity became known. His name uh, is Justin White, and 
he appeared to be sort of the middleman who was trying to negotiate this deal. You know, he was the, going between the coal interests um, and he uh, up in, in Wyoming and Montana. And he he did have meetings with people here on uh, here in Humboldt County and, uh, you know, met with the Wiat tribe, met with um, uh, some uh local lawmakers and also met with uh people in utah the um uh inland port authority there so he was you know he was actually doing a lot of serious legwork and um as as silly as some of his missteps were i i don't think we can say that this wasn't a real threat because it's very true that the the coal interests have, as I mentioned, been desperately looking for a way to get their coal to the the markets in Asia that are still very much burning fossil fuels. While you know here we're we're trying to sort of phase those out. Um, so I, I think the North Coast dodged a bullet effectively um, by shutting this down, or by the Surface Transportation Board shutting it down. Right, which ultimately the Surface Transportation Board rejected um, the offer of financial assistance from the the coal interests we'll just call them the coal interests for now um because they were a day late uh they missed their deadline by a day but that's not you're right that's not comforting that's not that is not a way to uh to make policy really um and i know that senator mcguire and um, congressman huffman were working hard trying to put legislation in place to kill the toxic Coltrane and other efforts. The Humboldt Bay uh, made some um, ordinance to stop the Coltrane from coming through. It, it did seem like a real threat, and then it apparently just kind of poofed, went up in smoke. Yeah, it was a real threat, and and you know if they hadn't missed this deadline, the fight would have continued, and there you know there were other um, avenues that that may have worked, but uh, you know. The Surface Transportation Board, as I mentioned, their whole mission is to um, maintain these rail lines wherever possible. And and so that was and they don't you know, they they don't really factor in the environmental cost of uh, what's being shipped. Um, They just want to know if it's feasible, financially feasible. And uh, uh, so they may have wound up, you know, if they uh ignored the missed deadline they may have wound up rejecting it anyway because they would have done more digging into the financials and they might have seen that this claim to have been capitalized to the tune of 1.2 billion was was hollow so is that submitting a document that like they did where once the once the redacted information the blacked out information was able to be seen it completely did not reflect the claims that they were making in their application is that fraud that, <clears throat> excuse me that's exactly what the attorneys with the um, great redwood trail association argued uh after they and i believe uh, senator mcguire uh was um, making that argument as well uh it it definitely looks like fraud i mean un- unless they had uh unless the company was able to get 
um, these coal interests to uh, <laughs> dump their own money into this uh, credit union account, this uh, North Carolina credit union account that was um, put forward as their financials, then, uh, yeah, I think I think they would have had a, a good chance of uh, making a fraud allegation. Hmm. Um, what about other, there were other uh, entities that filed offers of financial assistance with the, um, with the Surface Transportation Board around this Great Redwood Trail. Um, who else filed plans and, and what happened to those? Yeah, so there was um, the main one, and I, I think you mentioned it in the intro, was the Mendocino Railway, um, which operates the skunk train there there in Mendocino County. They had proposed taking over a, they have proposed taking over a 13-mile stretch of the line um, from near Willits to a, a spot near Dos Rios. And um, ostensibly, their, their plan is to ship gravel, um, although some have suspected that that they may have been interested uh tangentially in the the coal train um angle as well but uh you know it's that um the, the surface transportation board did not reject their um notice uh so they're they're still going to have an opportunity to submit an offer of financial assistance um and uh you know Senator Huffman is, or sorry, Congressman Huffman is is a little bit skeptical. He thinks the Surface Transportation Board may wind up rejecting that proposal as well. Um, he said that, uh, you know, reading between the lines of what the, the Surface Transportation Board wrote in its rejection of the coal train, um, it, you know, it, it said it's not rejecting the Mendocino Railway's uh, proposal, but it, it um, you know, Huffman said that it, uh, he thinks they have some financial viability problems, so that that remains to be seen. Um, the The Surface Transportation Board did reject one other proposal, which was um, really small potatoes. It was uh, a local guy up here who ran for supervisor once, and and he had a a proposal to run rail bikes around uh, Humble Bay, just on a couple small sections of track, and um, and they they turned that down as well. Was that for similar reasons? Because there wasn't there just wasn't enough money to pay for that project. Yeah, uh, this this guy. Um, it was kind of a charming proposal. He uh, he, he um, took out a, a line of credit on his house uh, to uh, in hopes of of um, financing it and. Uh, he didn't really have, um, they also, they, they rejected it for, for those financial reasons, but also because, uh, one of the criteria for being able to submit these offers was that you had to get, uh, a current quote on, um, uh, steel prices. Uh, so the, you know, the idea is you'd have to, you'd have to rebuild these sections of rail and, and he failed to do that. So he didn't really, uh, cross his T's and dot his I's on his application. Gee, it sounds like it's pretty complicated to uh, to try to to go through this process of rehabilitating a rail line or of uh, of rebuilding a rail line. And it also sounds like it is prohibitively expensive at this day and age to to um, to even kind of build these kinds of tracks or create this kind of infrastructure. So I wonder, uh, go turning back to the Mendocino Railway company and the skunk trains filing to 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 rehabilitate the 13 miles of track north of willits ostensibly to haul gravel like it's not a shadowy coal scheme but um 
it doesn't seem like it would be financially profitable. Um, I know that the skunk train recently lost its status as a utility in a lawsuit filed by the city of Fort Bragg. Do you think this effort by the skunk train to haul gravel has anything to do with them trying to regain the utility status? And, you know, if that's kind of what's going on or, or what are your thoughts about what the skunk train is doing here um, in, in this proceeding? Yeah, I think the the um, suggestion you made there has been uh, made by other people. For example, uh, Alicia Heyman, the executive director of Friends of the Eel River, um, she believes that's what they're up to. She said, uh, you know, it seems obvious that they're trying to bolster their claim to be a public utility because that would make them exempt from environmental review and permitting requirements uh, for their development plans in Fort Bragg. Um, so, you know, that that is a, a very conceivable ulterior motive. Just hauling a little gravel <laughs> is right. the doorway and, into to making that claim that they truly are a utility. Was there any connection between the Mendocino Railway Company that you found and the coal train project plans? Uh not transparently, but, uh, you know, I, I, I talked to people um, who said that they, you know, they heard that the uh, Mendocino Railway operators had been in discussion with the, the coal interests. And, um, you know, you could see that that would be mutually beneficial because if, if the coal companies uh, managed to rehabilitate this line and reconnect that section of rail to the national um the national rail line, uh, then that would absolutely clear the way for Mendocino Railway to um, say that they're connected, which is a um, a prerequisite for uh, making them a, a public utility and thus being exempt from the environmental review. I've also heard that uh, if the railway is a utility, they're eligible to apply for federal funding to do things like repair the tunnel that's been um, closed for years on the skunk train line. And, you know, that 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 a lot rides on their status as utility, which they um, they just lost in court. Yeah. And, and that goes back to the Surface Transportation Board being uh all about rail and and you know that they, they they are they were set up to maintain these um these rail lines uh at, while being agnostic about the <laughs> the merits of each individual stretch is this whole thing a, 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 an outdated kind of antique situation that you know this rail line is not viable in any way shape or form or is it actually something that could be future looking in terms of a future that includes rail uh for you know to relieve um our reliance on fossil fuels yada 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 i mean is this just totally outdated or is this something that people should be looking at as an option for our future well, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, rail is certainly not outdated, and you know whether it's for for transportation or freight, it is an environmentally superior alternative to a lot of the ways we move goods around. But what's unique about this stretch of line is that it runs through the Eel River Canyon, which is so geologically unstable that uh, it it never made financial sense to operate a rail line there. I mean, the NCRA tried for more than 20 years to uh, revive that stretch of line 
uh, find ways to finance it. And uh, it, it was just never going to happen. And that's, you know, the, the Great Redwood Trail proposal will maintain that right of way, which leaves the, the door open to a future rail use. Um, but, uh, you know, unless unless the government or some agency decides to um, invest in it uh, at a loss, essentially, um, there's there's really no way to uh, have a financially viable proposal for that that stretch of line. But, and it's you know, I don't know if you've ever uh, seen some of that um, the condition of of the rails uh, along the Eel River Valley there, but. It, it, it collapsed. I think it was in the, the the heavy rains of 1997, and it has just continued. I mean, it's it, nobody's worked on it since, obviously. And it, the there are rail lines that have fallen into the the river itself. There's abandoned rail equipment just littered in the the valley, and it's it you know it's very uh, erosive that geology there. Right, so, and, and I've um, heard too that there's um, a toxic legacy along that that line as well that needs to be dealt with um okay well thank you so much ryan burns of the lost coast outpost appreciate you coming on the air to talk about this and also really appreciate your reporting how can people follow uh, your reporting on this issue uh yeah just lostcoastoutpost.com we're, we're online only so uh, available everywhere with internet access all right ryan thanks so much Thanks, Alicia. This has been Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned now for The Wondrous World of Music with Tony Mixack coming to you live from, from Fort Bragg. I'll be back in two weeks. I just got good news. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org. And consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening. Hey.